Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I am Jonathan Lack. And I am Sean Chapman. And we are here to talk about stuff. We got, uh, you know, a good little bit amount of stuff on the agenda today. We're going to talk about The Wolverine. We promised last time we would talk about that movie. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the new Bioshock Infinite DLC that came out because we talked about Bioshock Infinite before and there's more of it now, I guess. Yeah. A couple other odds and ends here and there. But let's face it, the main reason we are here today, uh, Sunday, August 4th, is to talk about the new Doctor. The 12th Doctor was announced today. They did a special on BBC America, or not BBC, they did air it on BBC America. It was on BBC One. They simulcast it around the world, which was nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though the special itself, we'll talk about that in a minute. But they have announced that Peter Capaldi will be playing the 12th Doctor when Matt Smith leaves at at Christmas this year. Um, you know, we've all been waiting a while to hear who they picked for the new Doctor. God knows when we'll actually see him be the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know at Christmas, oh, right, he's going to be there. Although, like, he's we're probably not going to see him like see the Doctor's outfit until right. who knows when. Hopefully, March or April. But yeah, could for all we know, they could do one episode in August next year, one August after that, just yeah. do series eight over like eight years or something. Yeah. Who knows? Well, there's one way to extend the lifetime of the show. I guess so. <laughs> you can sell a whole lot of DVDs that way. Just yes. like every single episode is just a DVD release for that year. Yes. <laughs> and you have your super mega collector's edition at the end of yes. the decade. It won't even be on like a box set. It'll be a, like a flash drive. Exactly. We won't be using flash drives. Yeah, no, it'll just be, you'll just stream it to your ocular implants and that's yes. it. That's how you watch it. Yes. That second half of the series will be in like 3D holograms. Mm-hmm. Alright, in any case, Peter Capaldi has been announced as the 12th Doctor. Um, Peter Capaldi you might know as Malcolm Tucker from The Thick of It, the Armando Iannucci show, also the film version of that in The Loop. That is certainly what he is most famous for. Uh, He was also uh, most recently seen in a a big starring role on BBC's The Hour, um, which aired uh, about two years ago, I think. There was his first season and second season. He was in the second season of that, fantastic in it. He is a really great actor. He is also conspicuously, and this is really the big news here, a much older actor yeah. they have gone with for a long time. He is 55 years old. Which is the same age William Hartnell was when he became the Doctor. Yes. So, so what do you think of this announcement? Peter Capaldi, 12th Doctor. I mean, cool. Like, yeah. it's not... Like, it's not something that I'm personally getting super excited about because it's not... Like, I just don't care about actor stuff that much. Like, I just want to see him playing the Doctor. But I do like a lot that it's someone older... You know, and I haven't seen Peter Capaldi in a whole lot. I know he was in Fires of Pompeii, which I have to talk about. That that is so weird because you know who else yeah. appeared in Fires of Pompeii? Karen Gillan. Yeah. I think this is who else are they going to cast out of that one kind of crappy episode? Who knows? Series four. But it's it's kind of it just reminds me of uh, Colin Baker, the Sixth Doctor, was in Inva- Invasion of Time, a Tom Baker episode before he actually became the Doctor. Yeah, so it's just kind of weird. I don't know. It's, it's the second time this has happened. He's also... It's just, it's just like he's the, it's the second time a Doctor has been cast when he had previously played a different role in the, in, in the series. And it's also the second Doctor who's had the first name Peter. It's the only Doctor so far we've had that has had a repeat first name. It's just weird. It's historic in so many ways. Yeah, and then it's the second Doctor to be 55 playing the role. And so he's... He's the second oldest Doctor, or tied to be the oldest Doctor, however you want to phrase that. And I think that's pretty significant, and I'll talk about this in a little bit. I was excited to hear this just because I like Peter Capaldi a lot. He'd been rumored in the past couple days, and I my initial thought was that's too good to be true. A, because they're not going to cast someone that old, and B, because I think he's maybe slightly too well-known. But uh, they did cast him. I was really excited about that, because I just I immediately felt like he looks the part 100%. Yeah, yeah he does. Um, 
and and he's the right age. I feel like like they could not have gone younger than Matt Smith. They just yeah that be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, you forget so easily that Matt Smith was 26 when he started this because mm-hmm. he plays the Doctor as so kind of timeless in a way. You don't remember that he is physically young when you watch him. At least I don't. Yeah. So I think that's but but obviously you couldn't go physically younger than that because then you'd be getting like. I don't. You'd be getting like Disney Channel stars or something. Yeah, exactly. Or the little fucking shit they had on the stupid special. The little kid who was yeah. on it, for some reason. Anyway, but it's TV. But yeah, no. But I think this is this is a fun idea. I think you know doing an older Doctor really will change the dynamic of the show going forward, and that's what I'm so excited about. Is because this is enough of a radical shift, at least if, if in nothing else than an age, and I think general temperament. Because Peter Capaldi is not going to be doing, I don't think, the kind of physical humor. Um, and, and sort of the, the broad humor that the last couple Doctors have done. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's going to be really interesting. I think Stephen Moffat will have very different areas to go in now doing this. And I think it, it feels like a Doctor Who kind of choice to make because this is the age, you know, from the classic series, you would more expect the Doctor to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even a little old for that because right. usually you'd, you'd be like your late 30s and 40s. Yeah. Most of the Doctors back then. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's cool. I think it's a really cool choice because it's definitely one of the other things that I was thinking about that like one of the, the, the benefits from having an older Doctor is that hopefully it's going to motivate more creative companion choices too. Absolutely. Because now you can no longer leverage on the like having two hot people be the lead of your show like hot young people. Right. You know? Well, and you know, you know what excites me about it is that I think Clara is going to become really interesting now that she's going to be opposite yeah. uh, you know, a 55-year-old Doctor. That's gonna so she. I think that's interesting that she's gonna be a companion who straddles the youngest doctor and ties for the oldest doctor. Yeah. And I think that's gonna make her character, you know, go through some stuff that should be really compelling. I mean, this is gonna be more like the William Hartnell dynamic of sort of the grandfather. Yeah. Assumedly, I mean, he's not gonna be making out with Jenna Coleman. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That would just be, it'd just yeah. get creepy at some point. It'd be creepy no matter what because the doctor is both an alien and a thousand years old. Yeah. But it would be extra creepy if he was he physically looked you know thirty years older than Jenna Cole. Yeah, it'd be like the same reason back in the generation, the genesis of the show, that they decided to make Susan his uh, granddaughter is because it would just be creepy if this old dude was traveling with this really young girl. Yeah. It just like it just makes you ask uncomfortable questions, right? Well, you know, waiting for the special to start today, the the live airing, I was just kind of bored, so I was watching some of their Doctor Revisited featurettes they've been doing on the BBC. They had them on BBC America on demand, and it was just I was I watched the first and second Doctor ones, and it was just fun to hear them all the people involved talk about William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and the different dynamics back then, mm-hmm. and uh, especially where William Hartnell is concerned, that is such a different approach to doing Doctor Who. And obviously, they're not. The show has changed so much; it's not going to be like that. Yeah. But it's going to be more in a vein that at least we have not seen uh, in the past seven years, um, and I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Like at the very least, I think, it, like it would be, it'll be a lot more similar probably to the Christopher Eccleston like, yes. year. Really, for it's still going to be the revived show. Like it's not going to suddenly just because he's old. It's the classic era style no. Doctor Who. Like you can't do that anymore. But. But, you know, uh, I think a lot of the... We've talked a lot about how they've made all these stylistic changes to the show recently. Mostly just because it's the 50th anniversary and they wanted to do something special. But we have the new TARDIS, new theme song. And what I thought immediately when Peter Capaldi walked out is that I can see him in that new TARDIS that looks like the classic, you know, TARDIS design. that's a good point, yeah. Um, And also, he has got a great face for Credit's face. Absolutely! Let him win! Yeah, I can see his face... (laughs) coming out of like space clouds and winking at you perfect we need to start this internet meme twitter hashtag let peter wink yeah (laughs) 
And I did like how the, the three trending topics were like Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi, and Matt Smith on Twitter. Yeah. I was like, oh, holy shit. I want to talk for a minute about all the stupid, snarky comments I saw on Twitter after this. Like, bring David Tennant back. I yeah. saw that like a hundred times on my Twitter feed in like two minutes. Shut the fuck up. I love David Tennant. He's, he is a doctor who, you know, really was one of the main reasons I fell in love with this show for the long haul. I, I, I love him to death. Could not love that version of the doctor anymore. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up, it's, David it's, Tennant fans. You, he is coming back. Yeah, exactly. He's, <laughs> he's going to be in a whole episode. Yeah. So just deal with it. Yeah. He was great. You know who else was great? Matt Smith. Yeah. And all the other you know doctors. Else, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know who else was great? All fucking all of them. Yeah. And you know who else probably will be great? The new guys. Yeah. So just have fun with it. That's yeah. really if you don't understand Doctor Who enough to know that this is what's exciting is we get a new person, new blood, new, you know, tone of the show, then you don't really get Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Were you seeing any annoying Doctor Who fans on Twitter? Not really. Like, I just saw... Like, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter, and I just saw... Oh, hey, that's kind of cool. Those are, like, the three top trending topics in the world. It's like, I'm going to get off Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I I think it's cool that, you know... uh, I certainly think it's cool they simulcast the announcement. Yeah. uh, As a recognition just that Doctor Who is a pretty big global phenomenon at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of ramping up for the 50th anniversary special, which which will be the largest uh, televised simulcast in history. um, Which I think sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So... It just feels like this is a very exciting time to be a Doctor Who fan. We have a lot to look forward to, um, you know, with the 50th anniversary special, which I think is shaping up to be pretty awesome. Christmas special, you know, Matt Smith's final hour, new Doctor, and I guess here's the big question. Hopefully the Series 8 starts in, like, March or April, and it's not a torturous wait. Yeah. It'll be really annoying if they wait until August. God, yeah, I don't think they will. Like, I, I would I'm, not... I'm expecting them, probably, that the new series will start in Mar- March, but who yeah. knows? They've got plenty of time. Yeah. You know, but oh well. I I hope it does. E- even if they want to do their stupid, you know, seven six split, I hope they don't. I would love like we've got a new doctor. This is the perfect time to like set the ship right, do a normal schedule again. God, that would be that would be so infuriating if they did the same thing where like Clara, like they had six episodes and then Clara left at the end of the six episodes and he had to wait, had a Christmas special and then a new companion. Yeah, it's just like oh for fuck's sake, what are you doing? I think Peter Capaldi would walk out. Yeah, <laughs> and then on the then on the the series eight DVD box art, like Peter Capaldi's face is just sort of like jutting out of the side. It's like, hey, it's me. I'm the Doctor. <laughs> Again, if you have not looked at the series seven cover art, it's go look, really it's funny. funny. Although I did look the uh, the UK version is completely different and it's uh, much better. It's uh, let me pause this for a second. I'll bring it up just because I wanted to show it to you just to go off our last discussion. Okay. Okay, we're back. Let me just... Uh, if, if you look at it here, the, the UK version of the Series 7 set is uh, basically... It's, it's the sort of... The Vortex background from the new theme song, that kind of style. Uh, pink, reddish. The Doctor in the middle in a sort of portrait orientation. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of the faces of his different companions over the series are sort of in the background. It's really stylish. It's really nice. It's kind of understated. Yeah, it's actually one of the best box arts for these series sets I've seen. Yes, so. absolutely. So... Yeah, someone why the f- that. Why why is that a thing? Do you know do you have any idea why like box art and cover art is different across regions? Like why I, the fuck is that? It drives I, me insane. I don't get it. It's weird. It's I I know in the case of Doctor Who, I can't speak to other things. I mean, there is international licensing where a different company puts out Doctor Who here than does in the UK. And while it all has the BBC logos, Warner Brothers is actually the parent company that puts out Doctor Who in the US. Mm-hmm. So it is assumedly a different set of marketing people making this stuff up. What I don't get is that 
you know, if you have these two companies, UK and US, they obviously work very closely for Doctor Who. Yeah. Why they wouldn't just say, okay, we have this one asset, let's put it on both. One, that unifies it across regions, and two, that's less work for everybody. Yeah. And, and three, the one in the UK doesn't look like shit, so yeah. let's just use that one. Yeah, I've actually always liked the UK ones better. They, they Generally, they've had a, a better cover arts. There's... Like, I think Series 5 had the image where it's sort of Doctor and Amy, like, just floating in space. That yeah. one was okay, but the one in, in, I think, the UK was a little more, less silly. Mm-hmm. But it's stuff like that, so that's kind of weird. Anyway, <laughs> being kind of off topic here, but yes. Um, hopefully they air Doctor Who Series 8 in a reasonable time period. Yes. That, that way we can get used to Peter Cavaldi as the 12th, or like, whatever the fuck that's going to be, Doctor. Who yeah, I mean... With the, the 50th anniversary special, how that shit's going to work out. Right. Still, still pulling for John Hurt being the Veil Yard. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be that though. I know. Anyway, that actually reminds me of something that's like surrounding, like everything surrounding this. Whenever people write up about this announcement, or just even in the special itself, they always say that Peter Capaldi is the twelfth actor to play the Doctor. It's like fucking no, thirteenth, thirteenth, because two actors played the first Doctor. Good so, point. Good point. And that's if you're ignoring the Valley Yard because he doesn't really count. But yeah. yeah. And then I guess if you now if you count John Hurt, it would be fourteen because he even he technically was in the end of the last episode. So yeah. I just I just call him the twelfth Doctor because that's the that is yeah. the part he will. But be they playing. always refer to him that he is going to be the twelfth actor to play the role of the Doctor. Like I've seen that phrase yeah. everywhere. It's like you're fucking you're wrong. Don't just assume that. Well, there's fucking then, look it up, assholes. There's also the uh, the two shitty movies that were in the UK back in the sixties with uh, oh yeah uh, uh, Peter who, Cushing P- yeah Peter third third Peter Peter yeah. Cushing but he's. That's, he, he's definitely completely doesn't count. I mean, if you yeah. really, if you wanted to like really broaden it out, you, Richard Grant played him in the Scream of the Shulka like online things, like an alternate Ninth Doctor. And then there was like five different Doctors in Curse of the Fate of Death, which is like a BBC comedy special thing. Yeah, and also was like in the interim. Yeah, are you disappointed? Rowan Atkinson is not the twelfth Doctor. Uh, he's played. He's played the Doctor. He was yes. in the. He was in Curse of the Fatal Death. So that's why. Yeah. yeah. So one know. day maybe. Who knows. I don't know if I could accept Mr. Bean as the Doctor. Yeah, or for me, Blackadder. Yes. I did hear a great thing on Twitter today, which is, you know, if you know Peter Capaldi from the thick of it, he, Malcolm Tucker, that character, is famous for being just beautifully profane, just yeah. these incredibly complex sentences of swear words, and someone on Twitter said, it's about time we get a Doctor with a sudden onset case of Tourette Syndrome. <laughs> And yeah. I, now I'm imagining like Malcolm Tucker in the TARDIS like threatening Clara, mm-hmm. and it would be like the creepiest thing ever. Yeah, but yeah, I, I did like that he noted the Doctor would not approve of Malcolm Tucker's language. Yeah, let's talk about that special a little bit. Okay, so sure. they, they did this 30 minute special that aired at you know seven in the UK, noon over here where we are, um, and it was kind of funny for me to watch that as a US fan, not knowing any of the people they brought on. Ex- yeah, except for the people related to Doctor Who, right? It was like every time it was someone else. It was either like one of the cool things about the special was they had like this like series of like interviews that they played on video, and like a lot of them were like famous fit, uh, phys- physicists like Stephen Hawking or Brian Cox. And I was like, why are the only people I know either the physicists or the people on Doctor Who? It's like who the fuck are all these other people? Yeah, I didn't know the host Zoe something. She's yeah. apparently famous. And then when they brought this is the most disappointing part is they brought Peter Davison out. He's the fifth Doctor and he's awesome. Yeah, and he gives really good interviews and he's very thoughtful. And I liked his answer, and he got to talk for about two minutes. And then they had just two random people next to him. And yeah, I, it's like you're a fan of the show, right? Yeah, well, I guess you're going to be on the special then. 
And it's I, like, why am I not there? Like, you've got a whole audience full of people who are fans of the fucking show. Bring them on for interviews. Someone in the audience had a fantastic Fifth Doctor costume. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. He should have been on there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that guy cares. But yeah, I, I just thought that was so stupid. And I, I maybe these people are more famous in the UK. So but, yes, they, they they would be. But like, who the fuck was that little kid? I don't fucking. I don't know. I don't live in the UK. I know. I mean, even and this is because it's even worse because. I'm pretty sure you're almost exactly the same. I almost never watch live TV anymore. Like, I haven't watched something like this in fucking years. Oh, absolutely. So it was like, seeing it again, I was like, well, this is why I don't watch live TV. This is why the Xbox One's live TV bullshit is dumb. Because this is terrible! What is this? Like, I get, it's like, you know, it's kind of cool to have some fanfare around the new Doctor coming out. But it's like, you could do this and make it really awesome. Like, just fucking play like a documentary or something... And then have the guy come on. Like, you don't even have to have a live stage show and right. bring in just, like, random people to interview. Like, you could get better people to interview. You could get, like, other people related to Doctor Who, presumably, to come on. Well, and, I mean, there were parts of the special I liked very, very much. Like, Matt Smith's interview, yeah. fantastic. I liked hearing from Stephen Moffat because it was good to hear his process. Like, yeah. you know, we... Yeah, but that should just just been the whole thing. Right. Of those interviews. I agree. I think you should have had... First guest should have been Matt Smith, then bring on Stephen Moffat... Yeah play your clip package with the other writers, and then bring Peter Capaldi out. And what I really would have liked is a more lengthy interview with him because we got Peter Capaldi on there for about three or four minutes and he, he only gave a couple little answers about yeah. his, his role. And I would have liked to hear him talk for, you know, five, ten minutes about what the, you know, his history with the material, what it means to yeah. him, what approach he might like to take. Something like that would have been more substantive and more of a reward for sitting through the, the special. Yeah. But it, it felt very slapped together last minute. And not surprising because they announced this thing like two days ago. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Yeah. It's live TV. Like, it was exactly what I was expecting it to be. It was like, oh my god. My right. Fucking live TV. I know. But oh, it was, uh, I don't know, from, from my perspective, it was nice seeing a lot of... They just brought in a lot of, like, really old Doctor Who actors, like Janet Fielding and people like that. And oh, Matt I really like that, too. Like, yeah. they, like, came on, like... You know, really brief interviews in like their clip show or whatever. But it was like, hey, cool, whatever. No, I thought that was cool. I liked uh, Bernard Cribbins on there, yeah, for yeah, a little bit. Although the guy with him was a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, didn't even know how many knots were in that episode. It's four jackass. I wouldn't have been able to. Who cares? Fucking. It's a big part. That's like that whole season is that four knots shit. Yeah, that season in Doctor Who. Oh, it's so important. <laughs> that one of thirty-three. <laughs> big deal. <laughs> it did. That's always something that's. I know David Tennant, like, they really only started his, like, exit arc in earnest at the end of the main series four, but it felt like they were seeding that for, like, his entire run sometimes yeah. when I go think back on it. Like, did they start first start foreshadowing David Tennant's exit, like, in the first episode he appeared in or something? Because mm -hmm. there, was, there was so much build-up to that, and I, I actually very much like that with Matt Smith they're not, you know, his entire last season was not building up to his regeneration. Yeah. It sounds like, really, he will have a regeneration episode, not an arc. I think that'll be that. That actually, to me, fits that version of the character more. Yeah, I think it's just better for the show. Like, a, like dwelling on a regeneration that much just kind of gets tedious. I think it worked really well with David Tennant because that's who the tenth Doctor yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, it fit really well with that incarnation. But yeah, yeah, right. Like, I really, I mean, I really always loved the the just the first regeneration of the revived series, which was really a proof of concept that this new version of the series could work the same way the old one did. Yeah. Where it really is, you know, it's just that last episode and it's very sudden at the end and it works. Very you know, well. with this regeneration, I really hope they go back to the old school style of regenerating where it's just like the actor falls on the floor and then it's like this really shitty, like now you would just call it like a Photoshop job of like like overlaying and merging their faces and then like just having it slowly fade into the other actor's face. Yeah. I just hope they do that. 
It's like, it's just, it, it looks cool. It's fine. Like, they did it back in the fucking 70s. You can do it now. And it costs, like, no... Like, I could do it for you. I could do that fucking effect. I actually saw, when I was watching some of these specials today, uh, the, the regeneration of William Hartnell into Patrick Troughton. And it looked surprisingly good. Um, yeah. The does. way their faces morph... That era. Yeah. yeah, it looks actually very natural. Like, that face could come out of William Hartnell. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And then... The other regenerations past that don't look that good for a while. Well, because the, the the actual quality of the footage is way better. That yeah. I think is one of the reasons why. Because because that clip is literally it's just that clip exists from that episode. So that's it. So yeah. that's like that's ripped off of probably some like ad that ran on the BBC like years and years later for like hey like a new doctor's coming in. So it's like this like we're gonna like just put this footage into like a commercial or something. Right. That's weird. Yeah. But yeah. So, exciting time to be Doctor Who fans. Uh, looking forward to Peter Capaldi. Uh, looking forward to Matt Smith's last two episodes. I mean, that's the big thing to remember is it's like, you know, almost getting ahead of ourselves here. Because yeah, yeah. Matt Smith is so great. we got two hours, uh, you know, it's a 50th anniversary special will be longer. But two episodes left with him. Uh, should be fun. Hopefully, you know, as the time approaches, we'll be talking a lot more classic Doctor Who stuff. Getting yeah. ready for the 50th anniversary. So. And you know, like the thing I'm most excited about is just seeing what his new outfit is. I like actually was talking about yeah. that too, yeah. It's, you know, it's the, like, and that's why, like, it doesn't, like, this announcement of him being the Doctor just doesn't fucking matter because it's like you don't know what his outfit is, you know? Right. You have to wait until the episode to see that. Will he have a walking stick with a question mark on it? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Will he wear a celery leaf in his jacket? Will he have a scarf? It would be great if it was just this mishmash of, like, the worst elements of all the previous costumes. You know, he's got Colin Baker's coat, he's got the, the celery stick, like, Okay, he's got yeah, he's got like the the question mark umbrella. Yeah. Yes. He's wearing like the fez or something for Matt Smith's era. <laughs> Peter Capaldi in a fez. Yeah. That would be funny. Alright, so you know, more on that, hopefully in less than a year. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so let's talk about some other stuff. Sean, what else is going on in the world? Oh, I watched the Wolverine. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Let's talk some smaller stuff first. Uh, I pl- oh, Bioshock, Bioshock, yeah. Bioshock Infinite, this is a really interesting case. Uh, I want to put some stuff out here and see if you agree with it. Okay. They, uh, they announced when Bioshock Infinite came out. You know, it's in the box, this little announcement. You can get your season pass. Yes. And there would be that three... That is common with AAA titles nowadays. Right. Then there would be three pieces of DLC. And we've waited a long time to hear about what these might be. And then they finally announced the other day, oh, first piece is out. You can play it. Yeah. It's called Clash in the Clouds. It's a sort of challenge map, horde mode kind of thing. Uh, and then, then we will have two much more substantial, substantial pieces uh, out later. Yeah. It'll be a two-part DLC. Is it just me or does it sound like they really only made these because they had to? I mean, well, yes. They, they made them because they had to. I don't think that's, there's any question about that. Like, okay. I don't think... Like, I don't think Ken Levine was like, yeah, fucking DLC, let's do it. I think, you know, it, it was the publisher saying, like, hey, dude, you're, you're selling a single-player-only game. You have to have a season pass or else people are just going to trade this in. You know, this is why, like, the season pass DLC bullshit mostly exists to fight used game sales. So, okay. Yes, that is that is what it is. They, they, they very, very clearly rushed out this first piece of DLC. Yeah. But yes. So, have you played it? No. Okay. I, I, did you get the season pass? I did not get the okay. season pass because I was... It's, it's interesting. I When I played Bioshock Infinite, I just thought, this doesn't need DLC. This game just... It's 
it's it's a complete full experience. I don't need anything. Uh, and then they announced Clash in the Clouds the other day. It just came out. You know, it's just yeah, like, yeah. Here it, it just is. came out when they when they announced it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, it's already out. Yeah, I forgot to tell you about it. Right. And I and I looked at it, and uh, it's a game type that I actually am very fond of. I kind of like having when you have a single player only experience kind of thing. Uh, having a way to experience the combat side of it, which, as we talked about, I really loved in Bioshock yeah. Infinite. I know you liked it in mm-hmm. Bioshock Infinite. Um, just have a way to play that, something that I could just kind of turn my brain off and do and go through the motions just with the gameplay side of it. And it was only five bucks. I was kind of bored that day, and I'm like, why not? It'll be something to talk about for the podcast. That was really a big motivation for me. Um, I don't know if I would have played it if I didn't you know, have a forum to talk about yeah. it in. But I also just I kind of like this kind of thing. Um, it really is less of a horde mode, I would say, than more. It's much more like the challenge maps from Arkham yeah. Asylum, Arkham City. Um, and I really like those parts of those a lot. And my first thought when I started booted up Clash in the Clouds is, if this was going to be a part of the game ever, it should have just been on the disc. Yes, it should have been DLC. Yeah, there's no reason for it to be DLC. It would have been like if Arkham City, all the challenge maps were DLC. That would have been ridiculous. Yeah. Now, they had extra challenge maps as DLC, and those were awesome. Yeah, because they came with, like, fucking Nightwing, and it's like, yeah, I right. want to play as Nightwing. Are you yes. crazy? Yes, I do. Nightwing Nightwing has the, the like, weird Electroshock yeah, rods, right? Yeah, the Scream of Sticks, yeah. Those are great. Fucking awesome. Anyway, but yeah. So, my first thought was that, well, this is kind of a ripoff, because if they were going to do this, it should have been just on the friggin' disc. It really feels... It's like I'm completing my disc by buying this yeah. DLC, because it feels like an extra mode that you would just normally have in a game like this. All that being said, though, I've enjoyed it a lot. Basically, you have four challenge maps, um, a, a series of missions to go through. Basically, it is like the challenge maps from Arkham City, where you first fight, you know, let's say, ten enemies, and they push it up to 15. More powerful ones come in. Mm-hmm. You go until you die. Um, and then you can either restart the round, but forfeit your ranking on the leaderboards, or you can go back to the beginning at Wave 1. Uh, and each one also has what they call a blue ribbon challenge. Yeah. So, like, you have to... I know the first thing in, in on the first challenge map is defeat every enemy using a skyhook attack. And there's stuff like that. And I think those become way too hard when you get to the fourth challenge map to the point where they're kind of... Like, they should be... They, like, the fourth challenge map starts with a blue ribbon challenge that should be much later in that challenge map, I feel. It's where you have to defeat an enemy who is affected with bucking Bronco with a Iron Patriot... Who is an Iron Patriot, a mechanized Patriot, yeah. who is affected by possession? Yeah, not that's, easy. Yeah, that, and that—that's a lot of pieces to juggle. It's yeah. a lot of pieces, and that that particular round is unbelievably difficult. Um, but it's it's a cool map, and I actually like that 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 challenge map. I just tend to play that one without doing the blue ribbons. But it feels like it's a good amount of content. You have uh, a lot of different ways to play it. You can ignore the blue ribbon challenges. You can play with them, which kind of adds a new dynamic that's kind of fun. I like. You know, knowing, okay, this time I have to go through this this map and only use my shotgun. That can be kind of fun. Every time you complete a wave, you have to go back to this main little room. You can buy guns. Uh, you know, you, those guns are all there for you. You can buy the upgrades. You can buy new vigors. You can get vigor upgrades, and that'll save. So if you add a shield upgrade, that is your shield upgrade for the rest of the time you play the Clash in the Clouds DLC. Uh, and then back in the main area, the Columbian Archeolo- Archaeological Society, which is a nice little uh, hub area. Yeah. Um, you can buy the other challenge maps. I unlock those really quickly because you get a lot of money playing this, and they're pretty cheap. And then you can also unlock a bunch of, like, you know, voxophones, um, kinetoscopes. Concept art. Concept art. Uh, yeah. So, so there's good... there is one piece of concept art that I've seen, because I, I just watched some videos of it to see what the DLC was. This is the most amazing concept art ever because it's just like like con- like art direction for Bioshock Infinite and just like this really simplistic drawing of a like house kind of like underwater. It's crossed out says no, and a house above a cloud. Yes, it's like that that's is awesome. that's the art direction. Yes, accurate. 
Yep. So I've had a lot of fun playing it. The four challenge maps, there's one of them that I just utterly hate. It's the third challenge map. I forget the name of it. But you're, you're very high in the sky on that one. There's, there's clouds everywhere. Uh, and it's sort of that one actually changes every wave. You're in a different part of it, which makes it super confusing. You cannot get your bearings on where you are. Uh, there is supposedly a sky rail, and I'm really seriously wondering if my DLC glitched or something when it downloaded, because it shows you that sky rail. When you start a challenge map, you go through this camera thing where it shows you everything on the map, mm-hmm. and then comes back around to you and you start playing, and it literally shows you a sky rail right behind you. The first challenge is use the sky rail. I turn around, sky rail's not there. <laughs> I run around the map just running from enemies like, I can't, compl- I can't shoot you or else I'll fail the blue ribbon challenge, and there's no sky rail! So I don't get it. I hate that map so much, but the other three are really cre- are really fun. They're they're a little too derivative, I feel, of different areas in the game itself. Like I wish yeah. they were a little more distinct. The whole thing really does feel very rushed in a certain sense, but it's still, you know, Bioshock Infinite had great, great polished combat. If you liked that combat and you like this kind of challenge map atmosphere, uh, I think it's worth the five bucks. And if you had the, the season pass, obviously download it, um, play it. It's something where I, I kind of wanted a new game to listen to podcasts to. That's mm-hmm. what I've been doing with this. Yeah. So I've been listening to stuff and playing the, the combat. It's kind of fun if I just want to kick back and relax. You know, I'm, the other game I'm still playing through is Persona 3. So if I want to play a game and don't have a narrative focus right now, that's kind of a fun one to go through. Um, but... It is, it is a weird case where it's like, this was so clearly made because, okay, we have three, we're committed yeah, to... Yeah, we, we have to do three pieces of DLC because we sold a fucking season pass that said we're doing three pieces of DLC. Horde mode. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other, I think it's even, it's also funny that the next two, which do look cool and I will yeah. play them, it's, it's a two-parter. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's the bare minimum of how they could fulfill this three DLC requirement. Exactly. But so, I have, like, I have one question that I just have no idea about with this DLC. Like... What do you get from the Blue Ribbons challenges? Is it just money, or do like are the Blue Ribbons themselves like another kind of currency? I, the Blue Ribbons themselves are not another kind of currency. You do get like a $500 bonus at the end of every okay. round, something big like that. You also get a higher score for the leaderboards if you complete them. Oh, yay, leaderboards. Yeah, leaderboards are dumb, but, yeah. you know. Um, so mostly they're really just a goal to go after. Um, I mean, it would be cool if they had some, like... I, I don't know if the Xbox version does. I own Bioshock Infinite on the PS3. It would be cool if there were some trophies attached to it or achievements, like get all the blue ribbons, get an yeah. achievement or something. Um, but really, it's it's mostly just to motivate you to play the game in different ways. Yeah. It's just, for some reason, just when like I was watching it, just, like the, the emblem for the blue ribbons make it look like something that's like, you'd, you'd use that to buy something in this game. I agree, and I think they could have even, you know, they've got this Colombian Archaeological Society setting. They yeah. could have put up a big, you know, poster board and posted your ribbons on there. Yeah, or yeah, or like, you know, like, if you want to, like, maybe you use money to upgrade stuff, but if, like, you want to buy something new, then you have to use a blue ribbon or something, just, like, to motivate people to, to do those extra challenges, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's just this weird. Like, I've always kind of thought Season Pass stuff was weird, but this in particular is, like, when they came out with that Season Pass... They said, like, nothing about it other than there will be three pieces of DLC. And they also really heavily implied that those pieces of DLC were going to be story-based. So it's like, when the first piece comes out and has no story content whatsoever, it's sort of just like, I'm glad I didn't buy that season pass. Because if I, like, I, it's, you know, it's no water off my back that they came out with this DLC. But if, like, I had bought that, spent money on that season pass, I'd be pretty fucking pissed that one of the pieces of DLC is this bullshit, like, horde mode thing. That is like, you know, just uses only existing assets from the game you already bought. And it's just like, ta- feels really tacked on as a mode. That's just like, this is something that is in other games. And we're just going to put it in this game now. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think the biggest thing is, 
you know, for me, um, is that it just feels so much like something that should, should have been there from the beginning that paying the five bucks for it, you know, I don't, you know, five bucks isn't a yeah. lot, but obviously it adds up with the other two pieces of DLC and it just feels a little bit like, that's not a lot. Yeah. And, and again, I did not buy the season pass, so I was really waiting to see if the DLC was cool and then I would buy it kind of a la carte. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess, what I'm going to wind up doing. But but let's talk about they did put out a preview yeah. for the next part. What's it called? Death, uh, Burial at Sea. Yeah, Burial at Sea, that's it. Uh, part one and two. Part one, you will play as Booker. Part two, you will play as Elizabeth. And it happens in the final days of Rapture as yeah. a, like, floundering society. Yeah, so it's, like, I think it, like, takes place, would look like, on the day Rapture falls, from what I understand. Are you a little disappointed they're going back to Rapture? A little bit, yeah. Like, I was kind of... Like, what I was expecting the DLC to be was to be, like, other stories set in Columbia as, like, side stories. was what I was anticipating. I thought that would be cool. You know, you could have, like, a small, like, two to four hour campaign for each of them just, like, telling its own small little side story, more fully fleshing out that environment. And, you know, we have been to Rapture with Bioshock 1, and then for people who got Bioshock, Bioshock 2, you went to Rapture fucking again. So going to Rapture again, again, also feels weird. And on top of it, it feels even more weird because the stuff... I guess I don't want to spoil anything about Bioshock Infinite, but the stuff that Bioshock Infinite implies about, like, you know, it gets into sort of, like, multiverse-type stuff. And the stuff it implies at the end of Bioshock Infinite into how that multiverse works makes you feel like having Booker and Elizabeth literally be there in Rapture doesn't make a lot of sense and makes their interpretation of the multiverse a lot less interesting because it's like Rapture would be like this really crazy like alternate universe that just like went way askew at some point is like the the similarities to the universe you're used to are just like nothing it's so minute it's like just sort of like metaphorical similarities at some point I thought that was cool yeah and I it disappoints me because the hook of Bioshock Infinite is that it is the gameplay style of Bioshock, but in a new setting with new characters. Yeah. So going back to the original Bioshock feels... It would be like if the Twelfth Doctor was David Tennant. Yeah, in a way. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. Is it's like just so pandering to the fan base who couldn't get over this isn't Bioshock again, 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 again. And I didn't even think that fan base was all that big that when Infinite came out. But I don't know. Yeah. I, didn't, I don't follow that kind of stuff. But in any case, the, the, my biggest disappointment here is that I just didn't want to go back to the Booker and Elizabeth story. Because again, I don't think it's a spoiler to say it wraps up so perfectly. Yeah. Bioshock Infinite is such a perfect self-contained story. I think you could do so much other you know, side stories in Columbia and whatnot. But doing more with Booker and Elizabeth feels wrong to me. Yeah, I definitely agree. That it's like, you know, and it'll probably be really cool. Particularly the idea of, in the second part, playing as Elizabeth. And them implying that, like, that is, you know, it's not just, hey, like, your arms that are holding the gun are really thin now. It sounds like it's more like, you know, this is a completely different game experience. You know, it's a lot more, it sounds like they're saying it's going to be a lot more survival horror. You're going to be able to take advantage of her ability to make rifts and stuff like that. So that, that like, that sounds cool. But it is just sort of disappointing of, like, the potential of the directions they could have gone. And then going back to something that is like, they're just doing what they've already done in two different ways. They're doing Booker and Elizabeth again, and they're doing Rapture again. You know, it's cool. Like, I've always wanted to have, like, something set in Rapture before the fall, and that's cool, but it's like, I don't... I'm not sure if, like, this is the way I wanted to see it. I mean, that's ideally what Bioshock 2 would have been. Yeah, exactly. Would have been a prequel, but... Yeah. Oh, well. In any case, that's the Bioshock Infinite DLC. Again, I would say I would recommend it if challenge maps, especially akin to the Arkham Asylum, Arkham City style of doing it. If that's your thing, that sounds like something fun to you, you know, you could try it out. Yeah. 
you might, you know, it's not an A plus or anything. Not a very strong recommendation. I had fun with it. That's about all I can say. So let's move on. Next thing we're going to talk about is the Wolverine. This is the new X Men film. Came out a couple weeks ago. Yep. Um, been a while since I've seen it. Hope I can remember what happened. It's been a while since I've seen it too. It's been yeah. like a week and a half. So did did Wolverine like was 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 Storm in it or something? Or no, I'm kidding. It's I, all the X Men were in it. Every single X Man and woman that has ever appeared in the series was in that movie. That's actually the good thing about the Wolverine. Is that yeah. it, that's not it at all. That. I uh, let's okay. So let's, that's let's going to be it. Days of Future Past. Yes, it's going to be crazy. Yes. All right, the Wolverine. Uh, directed by James Mangold, Wolverine goes to Japan, based on the famous arc by Frank Miller. And not Frank Miller, no, uh, Chris, Chris Claremont. Yeah, Frank Miller worked on it too. It was was it really? Long. I yeah, think because yeah, yeah. I find it was the for the original Wolverine comic book. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolverine number one. I'm pretty sure it was just Chris Claremont. I, be- I Frank Miller is credited in that movie. I for the story arc. I'll, I'll look this up really is he quick. Really? Yeah, I mean, this is what they all. I, I believe the early the, the Wolverine number one arc it's based on is. Um, yeah, uh, the 1982 limited series, The Wolverine, or Wolverine, by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. No. I have no idea Frank Miller worked on that. Yeah. Because it, it does it not have, like, just horrible abuses of women and stuff? I, I've never read that, okay. that comic book arc. Yeah. I'm not a huge X-Men guy, but... Okay. In any case, uh, let's talk about The Wolverine. I liked this movie a lot. What did you think of it? I thought it was good. Like, I thought it was good until the end, I guess. And that's kind of the comment the third that most is people the, have. It's yeah. the problem. And it's... I, it's real dumb. It gets so dumb. There's some dumb stuff, but... Yeah, there's some dumb stuff. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, my... Well, we'll get into it. But but overall, let's, let's go with some more okay. overall thoughts. My basic thing is that this was... I, I had less of a problem with the third act than some other people. I thought it was different in ways that were not germane to the movie, but not different in ways that ruined it for me. Uh, overall, this is my favorite of the X-Men movies that has come out so far, because I think it is so much more focused than the other ones. I think the main arc with Wolverine is really well done. Hugh Jackman gets a lot of great material to play. I think the Japanese setting is used so incredibly well. Yeah. Again, up until the very end. I, I don't like that they set the climax in a nondescript building. <laughs> That's, yeah. in any case... It's a lot raw. There's just, just a lot done with the climax. But, yeah. um, but in any case, I, I like the general story. I like that the stakes until the end are, are kind of small scale. He just has to protect this this woman, Mariko, I believe is her name. Yeah. Um, and and they have a really nice relationship. I like most of the Japanese characters a lot. I think they do a, a lot of good job with the supporting cast. With the supporting cast not getting too big, the mutants they introduce are you know generally important and fleshed yeah. out. There's not like a new mutant every five seconds. Uh, I really like the Japanese. I, I don't remember the names. It's been a long. I saw this like three weeks ago. I'm sorry, but it's it's like the the, the red haired girl who brings him to Yukio. Japan. Yukio. I love that character. Yeah, I think I she's like really cool. Too. I like that they really the, the, her mutant power of being able to see people's death is a organic. part Part of the themes of the mm-hmm. movie, uh, I think the film was very well directed. Uh, overall, I just I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I thought it was really good, and I, I hope people, future X Men filmmakers, look at this and say, "Hey, we don't have to wildly overstuff our movies." Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's it's something that this movie could do because it's a Wolverine movie and not an X Men movie. You know, I guess an X Men so. movie has to be a team movie. But you can have a team movie with I guess you can have a team movie without doing it Last Stand style. Yeah, I'm not saying they should do it Last Stand style. Like yeah. that's going way too far in the other direction. But it's like they don't have the benefit of only being able to focus or only like having to focus on one character to make the movie work. Right. But you know, the you Avengers know? is a team movie, and every character in that movie gets yeah, a good yeah, arc. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, 
that's a really good example of a team movie. Right. But it's like it's not like you know Captain America is the Avenger, and then like everyone else is a side character. Right, and I understand that. I'm just saying, you know, I think you could just take the lessons here of you know whether you've got one character at the center or five. Find what the story is and, and make the story and themes interconnected and don't introduce characters that exist outside of that. Okay. I guess is my general thesis. And, and I'm going to say that people making X-Men movies, go watch the Avengers and do what they did. <laughs> yes. Go watch the Wolverine and do what he did. So, that's actually that's, probably a good point. Yeah. Cause I, I was just thinking in the sense. X-Men series, but yeah. There's no reason to constrain it within the X-Men series. You can draw inspiration from outside X-Men movies if you're making X-Men movies. Right. All right. Better yet, just let Joss Whedon direct all the movies. <laughs> well, no, that's not. That would get boring eventually. Of course it would. In any case, uh, what did you think of The Wolverine? I, I like it. I mean, I agree with most of your comments. I think probably the ending... Like, I wouldn't say the ending in no way ruined the movie, but it like I found the ending to be really disappointing because I found the rest of the movie to be really engaging and really cool. And we're really talking about the climax with Silver Samurai, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. the... Yeah, basically when, as soon as he gets onto, like, a soundstage, and it's like, oh, you're just on a soundstage, and this is all, there's, like, this big CGI character, and it's all dumb. But yeah, like, that section is really disappointing, because it feels like it has nothing to do with the rest. It feels like, all of a sudden, we had this really cool, like, Yakuza, like, Chandra movie that was like, this is fucking awesome. It's like, it's not a comic book movie at all, but in a really cool way. The way that, like, those Wolverine comics don't feel like superhero comics, because Wolverine's not, like, a comic booky superhero kind of guy. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're on the... We just, like, somehow just crashed into a comic book movie. at Like, like a really bad comic book movie in its last act. It's sort of like what the end of that movie is. But up to that point, I thought everything was really fucking awesome. Hugh Jackman is really great in it. They get the Wolverine character just so perfectly. It's so much fun to watch Tim just be able to fully just... Like, like they just give Hugh Jackman a huge amount of room to just be Wolverine which he has not fully had in the other movies. Well, you know what might be my favorite part of the whole movie is the opening. It's like this 15-minute short film where he's dealing with these unruly hunters. Yeah. And just that 15 minutes tells you more about Wolverine than all the other movies combined. Yeah, yeah. It's it, just this great Wolverine short, and then they use that to you know jump into the larger story. Yeah, it's... Yeah, they, like you said, the, the they make just perfect fucking use of the Japanese setting. It's... Really great. I mean, here's what I wrote in my review: is how often do you even notice setting in modern blockbusters? I mean, it's really rare because they're just usually set in nondescript American metropolitan city, right? And that's that's not fun. That's not as fun. I think if you yeah. have an actual location, and and what's so cool about Japan is that not only do they shoot it in a way where they clearly went there, they yeah. shot in these places, and they think of ways like Japan has bullet trains. Let's do an action scene on a bullet train. <laughs> that's- that's like the best part of the whole movie. It's that so action great. scene is amazing. And they do I love how they do that without music. Yeah. And it's just all the rushing wind and stuff. It's so great. And it's just an action scene you couldn't do anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Just as this is really a story you couldn't set anywhere else in the world because the, the culture and climate of Japan directly influences Wolverine's personal arc. Yeah. And I love that. And and all the you know, aside from Hugh Jackman and uh, the Viper Girl, everyone in the movie is Japanese. <laughs> the ninja dude is Korean. Oh, he and is? he is also the guy who voiced the main character in Sleeping Dogs. Which was really weird. It bugged me through the whole movie. Because I played like 40 hours as that dude in Sleeping Dogs. And I'm like, I, I know this guy's voice from something. Where is it from? And then as soon as the movie got out, I'm like, fucking Sleeping Dogs, dude. What the fuck? Yep. But yeah, great use of setting. Anyway, yeah, go on with what you were saying. Yeah. But yeah, no, it just makes perfect use of yeah, it just makes perfect use of the Japanese setting. It has to be set in Japan because it deals with the thematic stuff. And then they even just like, you know, they like they fucking go to a love hotel. 
Like, that's, that's so that's great. That's fucking hilarious. They, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, it's not just that, oh, it's in Japan. They make use of the Japanese setting, and that's, it's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. I uh, what else was I going to say here? I, I think when they get to my probably the best uh, in terms of just emotional fulfillment is the sort of pre climax where he's back at the main guy's sort of the the, the house where yeah. the sort of compound I would say, and uh, he's he's Wolverine is dying, and this is where he he winds up getting cured. Yeah, uh, he pulls the thing out of his chest, which again that's something Wolverine would do is stick yeah. his own hand in his chest and yeah, pull out pull something the, off his fucking heart. Right, and in that Yukio has to fight the the samurai guy. And then Wolverine comes back, and that fight scene where he fights off the yeah. the men, and then has that last fight with the guy with the sword, and and he gets stabbed and stuff, and it, that is such a great climax. Really, the movie should have ended there. That feels yeah. like the fulfillment. Yeah. Like you would have had that be the big action climax, and then one last scene where he goes to get Mariko, but that didn't need to be big. Yeah, because really the 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 emotional fulfillment is that he reaches that point. In, in that compound when he heals himself of knowing who he you know he, he has this whole struggle through the whole thing of really can I be immortal can I live with this yeah. can I live with myself do I want to live and what he ultimately discovers is that this is who he is and he just has to know how to direct his anger and his flaws yeah, he's the best there is at what he does and what he does is cut some fools up it's it's Skyfall. It's it's yeah. that kind of approach to doing the character it's like as Skyfall was to James Bond this is to Wolverine and then they do the stuff with Silver Samurai. <laughs> do you want to talk about that now? Just yeah, it's like so. This is going to be full on spoilers, but it's like this is not a movie that you can spoil because it's just such a like feels like such a character action movie that's like yeah. the plots whatever. But yeah, so the whole movie they there's been you know the setup is you know he goes to Japan to meet up with the the guy he saved from Nagasaki, which all that stuff was cool. I like that they you know him like he was like like this is not stuff from the comics. I know that much. That like he was the prisoner, in, like when the bomb went off and all that stuff. Because in the comics he knows fucking Japanese, but uh, so he gets called in by this like guy he saved, Yashida. Yeah, Yashida, and he tells him, "Hey, you know, I can get rid of your immortality and give it to me." And Wolverine's like, "Fucking dude, you're crazy!" And he tries to leave, and then Madame Hydra or Viper is there, and this is just like a weird part of like reading comic books. Is I know this Viper character. Only as Madame Hydra, because she's like involved with all the Hydra stuff, and not as a mutant. Like because I don't think she is a mutant in the comics. It's like weird seeing that character pop up, but she is like this like doctor who just is like in like all these scenes, and you're always wondering like what, who is this character? Like why the fuck is she in this movie? Because she always feels kind of out of place to me. You know, she dresses really gaudy. Like she dresses like she's in a comic book movie, whereas everyone else is just in normal clothes. She's got like this like green outfit and everything, and like ridiculous sunglasses. And so she's obviously doing something evil in the background. And since I know Silver Samurai is in the movie, like she's got something to do with Silver Samurai, and she's taking Wolverine's powers for Silver Samurai. So lo and behold, at the end of the movie, they're taking Wolverine's powers to make Silver Samurai, even though that's again, this is nothing to do with the comics. Like Silver Samurai is not a giant robot with like an old dude in it. That's not what that character is. But in this movie, they put the old dude who is dying. In a giant robot suit that looks like a samurai, the silver samurai that in this is like, there was like a silver samurai statue that was looking over his grave. So that's how they justify having silver samurai in the movie. And so they go to cut Wolverine's claws off and then dig into his bone marrow. And I guess that's how they get the immortality stuff, which that didn't... I thought the immortality shit would have something to do with like the little thing she put on his heart that stopped his powers. But no, it's bone claws. And so then they cut off his claws, they get the immortality, then he fights Silver Samurai, 
and then he waits until the dramatic moment for to regrow his claws back because it's like the sword in Pacific Rim. Rule cool. He could have grown his claws back that entire fight. Just never decided to. Then he kills Silver Samurai. And I did like the moment when his claws come back. Yeah. Although, this is one thing I was really disappointed at with that whole thing. Is that they had like this, the sword, you know, that, that Yashida gave him. I, yeah. They had been building that up. Like that sword came up, like when Yukio met him, she's like, this is your sword. And he's like, no, it's, I'll take it later. And then like they have the flashback and it's like you saw that Yashida gave him the sword after he saved Yashida's life. And Wolverine says, I can't accept this here. Like you hold it on to me. Hold it on for me. Like I'll come back for it later. And it's like, you know, Yukio is carrying that sword with her for, like, the whole movie. I was just waiting for that sword to come the whole time. I was waiting, like, in that last action scene. I was like, okay, this is where it comes in. He's going to kill Yashida with the sword that Yashida gave him. It's like poetic justice, you know? That would be a cool moment. Like, nope. Just don't even... The sword thing is completely dropped. It was so weird. It would be like if in Aliens, they have the scene at the, begin of, at the beginning of Aliens where they teach Ripley how to drive the big, like, power loader thing. And then she never fights the alien queen with the power loader. She just shoots it. It's like, what? why did you have the power loader in the movie? It's like, why the fuck was the sword there if you were not going to stab the dude with the sword? It's Chekhov's katana. What are you doing? I agree completely. That was a big disappointment for me because I just wanted him... Okay, he loses one set of claws. He tries to fight with yeah. the other, loses that set. Pick up the fucking sword! Yeah, exactly. Like, it's... Because I, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, his healing factor, those claws would grow back almost instantaneous. They're just bone. But it's like, whatever. If they're going to do a thing where it's like his claws take a really long time to grow back, that's a perfect excuse to have him use the fucking sword. And they never used done it. They never did it. It's like so perfect. Yeah, and honestly, my... just already got the one-liner. Yashida, here's your sword back. Shink! There you go! Done! Written! Already done! And he already... didn't even have to... You, like, Hugh Jackman, you don't even have to write that line. Hugh Jackman would just come up with it on the set, naturally. Anyone would. Yes. And I, if I don't... If I'm not mistaken, he has a pretty good one-liner there, but it's not that good. Yeah, exactly. There, There's plenty of good Wolverine one-liners in this. Yeah. But yeah. In any case, yeah. And really, my biggest disappointment with the entire climax is that they set it on a soundstage. Yeah, I don't... Yes. And, and you know, the scene before that where he is trying to get there, I thought they were setting up a perfect finale climax, you know, sort of like the raid style where, okay, I have to just get into this building yeah. and save this girl. That's it, you know? And, and he has to get through this little town and all the samurai are like, you know... Like the ninja. ninja. I just thought it was dumb that ninja were in the movie, but... Yeah. Anyway, the ninja shooting the, you know, the arrows into his back. That was a great scene where yeah. he's really just... He needs to get there. That's his sole mission is save Mariko. But then it becomes way too big. Like, they lose yeah. focus of scope. And, again, I, I didn't think it was terrible, um, all the climax stuff. It really, really was just a little disappointing to me. And, and even then, I thought it, you know, after the climax, I like all the material then through the ending. But uh, I think there's some nice final scenes with Mariko and Yukio and some other characters. Yeah. Uh, and I like that it ends on a fairly small-scale note of Wolverine choosing to just go back into the world. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the climax is too big. Way too much CGI for a movie that, for the most part, yeah, looks very like, practical. Yeah, exactly. Like, Silver Samurai is all CGI. It's like, yeah. Dude, Silver Samurai is just a dude in a samurai suit that can project energy fields. That's it. Like, you didn't need to turn him into a giant robot monster dude. Like, what the fuck is that? I know. But... Oh well, let's let's talk about some other things that are great in this movie. The yeah. scene where Wolverine interrogates Mariko's fiance in the hotel. That's pretty yeah. 
I was a little disappointed that the guy didn't die when he flung him off. Yeah, but but they save it with yes. like, how did you know that there was a pool there? I didn't, and just yeah. leaves. It's like that's almost better because of just yeah. the just the amount of you know, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like, which it's, it's a not pun- even like like he's so unimportant. I'm not even going to go back to make sure he's dead. Like, right. whatever. And you know that is the perfect contrast to we haven't talked about this yet. One of the reasons why I think no one expected much going into this movie is because the last Wolverine movie, X Men Origins, was a piece of flaming dog shit, and I did not see it. Right, and I will and say I will right not here, see it. right, and I'll say right here. I, I've said this before. I've harped on this before. All the problems in that movie are summarized in the scene where the whole movie Wolverine is looking for the guys who killed his wife, the the woman he loved. Mm-hmm. He loved this woman. She got killed. He's looking for them. He then goes in. He finally finds Sabretooth who killed his wife. He gets into the room. Turns out Sabretooth did not kill his wife. His wife was still alive, and she just betrayed him. And Wolverine gets really sad and leaves. <laughs> Wolverine would murder everyone in that room. Yeah. He would just lose it and murder everyone in the room. And yeah. I was waiting for him to lose it and murder everyone in the room. And instead, a single tear runs down his cheek, and he leaves. And that is just the antithesis of yeah. Wolverine. In this movie, he finds the guy who's, you know, fucked over his lover, Mariko, and he fucking throws the guy off the roof. Yeah, no, he fucking, he kills, like, just dozens and dozens and dozens of people in this movie. Yeah, he is, you know, he is not Superman, he is not Batman, Wolverine does not have the no-kill rule. He doesn't give a fuck. The dude's superpowers is that he can't die and he has claws. What else is he gonna do but kill people? Right. And really this, again, this whole movie, even though the climax is not perfect, I don't think it ruins the arc, which is him realizing what he is and where he needs to direct his aggression and his confliction. Yeah. And it works really well in that way. And boy, it's just that is the perfect antithesis, mo- a- you know, ap- apotheosis, apotheosis moments yeah. where you've got like, you know, Wolverine just a single tear running down the cheek leaves, Wolverine kills a bunch of people, throws a guy off a roof. Yeah. yeah. That is Wolverine, other one is not. Yeah. So... A lot of really good stuff in here, though. I really like the whole, you know, hour or so after... Uh, well, first I should say, I really like that the movie has no action whatsoever until about 40 minutes. It really yeah, is just yeah. a... Uh, one, of the things I, build. one of the things I love about it is that there's a lot of just characters talking about issues and talking about, you know, the, the not only the story and whatnot, but their own emotional issues, their problems. There's a lot of very good writing in the movie. Yeah. And, and even after that first action scene, which is a pretty prolonged, really good scene where he's fighting the people at the funeral, mm-hmm. then on the bullet train, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, and then there's just another hour or so, which is really just him and Mariko going around the Japanese countryside and doing character building. Yeah. And it works so well. Yeah. It's like, it is definitely, you know, the, the he, like, like you could take the romance in this and like contrast that with the romance in man, like the romance in Man of Steel. Be like, here's you, here you go. If you want to have a romantic subplot in a movie, you know it's not like Wolverine does it perfectly, but it, like I can believe that. You know, this like you, even though you don't see them spending a huge amount of time together, like they do spend a lot of the movie together. It's like they also imply like a lot of time spent together when they're just like in that shack on like the Japanese countryside. You know, it's like yeah. They managed to fucking pull off the romance subplot in this movie without, like, fucking trying to use really cheesy bullshit lines like Man of Steel, you know? Um, what did you think of having Famke Jansen back as Jean Grey for some, some of those dream sequences? It's fine with that. I really liked it. Yeah. I think that was actually my, probably my favorite Famke Jansen material in this series. Yeah, Because yeah. she's really good in those scenes. Those scenes are really well written. And I, I you know... I think there's always the, you know, the impulse to just ignore The Last Stand, but it did happen, yeah. as bad as a movie that was, and I like, you know, making that movie count a little more, and that you follow up on what happened in it, and having Wolverine, and that's a good emotional starting point for yeah. him here, because that, as we saw him in those three movies, that would have fucked him up, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think it's an interesting arc for him this this conflict between sort of this dream world he has where he's dead and with her yeah. and and life which is very very difficult for him and and I think what impresses me most about the movie is that it sets up a fairly conflicting or a very compelling argument for him wanting to die with yeah. just those scenes with Jean Grey and getting to a point where he wants to live again or is willing to live again. Uh, it's a good arc, and it works yeah. really well. Although Jean Grey was probably just doing there's like that was like probably the Phoenix Force, and she was trying to trick him and yeah. die. So she's like, cause he was the only person who could defeat her, so she could come back as the Phoenix Force. And it's like whatever. And that's the comic setup. books exactly. That's the setup for Days of Future Past. It's exactly, yeah. <laughs> Brian Singer's going to do Phoenix his way. Damn it! <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about this. What did okay. you think of the post credit scene? I thought it was cool. I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I don't know. Like I still think probably that movie's not going to be good, but I'm I think that movie could go could fluctuate yeah. wildly. But I still I just it was fun to see Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart back. Yeah, um, and I thought I, maybe it just like went on too long. Like it was like two minutes. It's like like this is I don't know. Like I kind of was expecting a bit more of a tease, and it's like this is a long this like a scene. I but it felt awkward to me. It was still so much more substantial though than the last couple of like Marvel tags we've gotten. Yeah, that's true. Like it really is. It's story material. It sets something up. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. Um, and I, it's, although Wolverine sells his bone claws, they're going to have to do something with that. Yeah, whatever. You can have yeah. bone claws. It's cool. <laughs> you can find some molten adamantium and dip them in those. I guess I don't know. That could be a really cool scene in Days of Future yeah. Past, where he's like, "I've got to get back to work." Finds the molten adamantium and just shoves his he's hands. Just, in. Like just walks around the countryside until he finds a, like a vat of boiling adamantium. It's like, here we go. Yeah, solved. Yes. So, cool, cool tease there. Um, it would have been f- even funnier in that tease if they had tried to include every character they're going to have in Days of Future yeah. Past. So, like, suddenly Professor X comes in and he's like, everyone else, come in! Yeah. And it's like all the other X-Men. Yeah, because I thought, like, honestly, I thought that scene was going to end. Like, I, like in the back of my head, I knew it, was, it wasn't going to because you told me you really liked, like, the post credit scene. And I was like, okay, like, I need to, to, to wait, like, I need to make sure I see it. And then, like, but, like, the scene starts where Wolverine is in the airport, and then he sees on the TV, like, they're talking about, like, something, the, like, the Trask Corporation is creating some sort of new weapon to fight mutants or whatever they say. And it was like, I know, because of comic books, those are the Sentinels, but then in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, I know that you wouldn't know what the fuck that was, because you... I know what Sentinels yeah. are. But you wouldn't, like, associate, like, the Trask Corporation. No. You have, yeah, you have no idea what that is. So I was like, okay, Jonathan would not know that. So there has to be something more. But I was like expecting it was like okay, they're just like teasing the Sentinels because that's going to be what the Days of Future Past bullshit is going to be. And then it's like oh okay, no, Ian McKellen's here. Okay, this is a much longer tease. Yeah. yeah. But I just I like Ian McKellen's awesome. Patrick yeah. Stewart's awesome. I like seeing him back. I like I always like in the X Men movies when Hugh Jackman stands off against Ian McKellen because he's always so pissed off. Yeah. But because he's Wolverine and full of adamantium, yeah, he, he can't, can't do, do anything. Shit. Yeah, which is great. So I loved seeing another scene like that where he pulls out the bone claws and he's frozen in time. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was good. So like, I was hoping it was gonna be like Charles Xavier and Magneto like pop in when the DeLorean and it's like, Wolf Logan, we have to go back to the future. There's something wrong with your children. Yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah, that'd be great. Like the, the tease could be Mariko on the TV is pregnant, <laughs> <laughs> and Wolverine's like, like oh god, oh, shit. shit, yeah. And then the next movie could be Wolverine Babies. That's Days of Future Past. <laughs> Wolverine <This> is... <laughs> Babies. <laughs> That's just the name of the movie, Wolverine Babies, and it's it's like Hugh Jack. It's like a really crazy, like stupid poster with Hugh Jackman with like three Wolverine babies in his arms, yeah, yeah. and they're all like hairy and have claws. Yeah, yeah. And then one of them's like a girl, but she's still hairy and has claws. Right. Yeah. 
It's Hugh Jackman mugging for the camera on the mm-hmm. poster. Yeah, that'd be great. They fucking make that movie. <laughs> Directed by Christopher Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> it's just basically like take the script for whatever, like, you know, like the Smurfs 2 or whatever just came out and just like, just write, rewrite it a little bit to have something to do with Wolverine. It's like, there you go, done. Ship it out. Baby geniuses with bone claws. Exactly. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> All right. Let's, let's see. What else, what else is there to talk about with this movie? Uh, I don't know. It's like I just it's a good movie with a dumb, just super dumb ending. Ending was so dumb. It's too bad, but yeah. you know, I still liked it a lot. I yeah, I definitely recommend seeing it. But. I think it's going to be very tough for them to replace Hugh Jackman whenever that time comes. I, he yeah. is so good, and I think it's it's telling that you know this is the best material he has been given as Wolverine. I think no questions asked, and it's his best performance in the part. And if you keep giving him stuff like this. Yeah, I, I wish they could have been doing this the whole time. Yeah, and and had it this clear an understanding of all the characters. Um, it, they should it does, just have like the, they should just do this where they set the movie like they just do like the Wolverine two is just set in a different setting. It's like now it's the Wolverine in Russia. <laughs> and but like do it as a period piece during yeah. the Cold War where he has to go like <laughs> super agent. Yeah, the secret agent Logan. Yeah, you could do one where I think they need Code to do the, Wolverine. I think they need to do the team up movie Wolverine and Rambo, where they have to go back to Vietnam to save prisoners of war. Yeah, so many possibilities. There really are. Yes, get Wolverine in the next Avengers movie, so he and Tony Stark can make fun of each other. I mean that that, that is like one of the big. That's one of the, like the sad things about like hey they finally like made this really awesome Wolverine movie and then you have to remember it's like this has no connection to the actual Marvel Studios movie so it's like Wolverine is presumably never show up in the Avengers unless. Something crazy happens. Well, and now Fox and, and Marvel are at each other's throats over the stupid Quicksilver yeah. thing. Cause, Why couldn't they be at each other's throats over Wolverine? Yeah, I like, mean... Like, who gives a fuck about fucking Quicksilver? That's the whole thing, is that why would that be a point of contention? Like, yes, you can use Quicksilver. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, it's fucking... Qu- Nobody has any idea who Quicksilver is. He's like the poor man... He's, he is the poor man's Flash, you know? Yeah. Oh, well. Fucking Quicksilver. In any case, and and I guess that's the big indication about Days of Future Past that worries me is that if they just said we're bringing back the original cast, I'd be like, cool. But then they're also layering on people like Quicksilver. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessary. Yeah, because they still have characters they need to iron out. Because you know, Kitty Pride's going to be a big part of this next one. Kitty Pride did not get a great amount of to do in Last yeah. Stand, but they have a great actress playing her in Ellen Page. Focus on the characters you already have, Brian Singer. Yeah, like at this point, I can't even keep track of like what. Characters, what are even in that movie, and like what characters were in the other X Men movies? Because it's been so long right. since I saw them. Cyclops is not in it. They have confirmed. Okay, it's funny they're they're bringing Professor X back to life, but not Cyclops. <laughs> Poor dude. Brian Singer just hates the Cyclops so much. Dude. You know, like m- m- people don't tend to like Cyclops, and I understand that. But he's the fucking team leader. Like he plays a super important role in the team dynamic. You know, it's like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nobody's favorite turtle is Leonardo. But you have to fucking have Leonardo there. Like, it can't just be the smart one, the angry one, and the dumb one. You have to have the fucking dude who knows how to get shit done there, too, even if nobody likes him. Right. So who knows? Maybe Days of Future Past will wind up being, like, six hours long, and they split it into three movies, and who knows? Yeah. Fucking who knows? Part one is just Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart playing chess. Yeah. I'd watch that. That wouldn't. Okay. That, that'd probably get really boring at some point. I mean, there would be like a dynamic conversation going okay, on. Okay, okay. It's not yeah. just like... It's not silent. Yeah. It would really be an examination of their characters through chess. And then at the end, Magneto would get his powers back and Professor X would come back to life and... 
Because he would uh, he would probably have to be alive before they start playing chess, huh? Yeah, I, I would assume so. Yeah. Unless Magneto's gone crazy and he's playing with Ghost Professor X. I don't it's know. It's also possible. And it was actually really funny that Ian McKellen, because... Because it's been so long since I saw Last Stand. Apparently Magneto doesn't die in that movie. And I just, like, in my head... No, he gets his powers revert, revoked. Okay. So, I, yeah. I just, like, in the in the back of my head, I was just assumed Magneto must have died in that movie because I haven't seen it since it came out. And I was just like, Magneto probably died in it. They didn't make any X-Men movies after it. Magneto must be, just be dead. It's like, oh, okay, pal. It's, it's Magneto. Nobody's surprised at it. Yeah. Well, but Professor X was dead. He's back. Yeah. Uh, Magneto did lose his powers. He obviously has his powers again, so... I'm wondering how directly they will address the Last Stand stuff. Um, yeah. Or if it'll be just a one-off line like, Hey, weren't you dead and you lost your powers? He's like, Comic oh. books! <laughs> fucking... I have no idea how many times fucking Professor X has died at this point. I can never keep track of whether or not that motherfucker is alive in the comic books or not. It changes, I swear, every fucking day. It's in, It's one of the reasons why I just can't get into X-Men comics is because they're so complicated. Like, even for comic books, since it's like it started as a team book, and then it's like a bunch of the team members that are popular get their own series, like Wolverine, and then you've got like X-Force, and then like, like fucking the X-Kids or whatever the fuck like the young X-Men are called. It's just like, I can't keep track of all that bullshit. And then, like, Professor X is there, and then he's dead, and then he's there, and he can walk, and now he can't walk again. He never could walk, and now he's walking again. It's like, who fucking knows? All right. Magneto's the team leader now, but now he's a villain again. Like, Magneto has been a fucking villain and hero. Like, he's switched between that at least three times that I know of. It's fucking, it's impossible to keep track of. So hopefully, eventually, the X-Men movies can reach that level of supreme bullshit that the comic books have. That would be pretty great. Yeah. All right. For now, Wolverine, go see it. Yeah, definitely go see it. If you want to walk out at the last act, I don't blame you. <laughs> Come back and watch the teaser, or you can watch the teaser online. It's pretty cool. All right. So anything else to talk about before we sign off this week, Sean? I don't think so. There's not a whole lot else going on right now. Yeah, and I, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. We'll try to have another episode. Yeah, at the end of August, Gamescom happens, and so there will be like new gaming stuff coming out then. But yeah. Has there been any new gaming announcements released, but another slow week? Like, they, they increased the clock speed of the processor in the Xbox One by, like, 6%. Yay? Yeah, there you go. That's, that is, like, the one thing I could come up with. Like, Dragon's Crown came out. That game seems kind of cool. Causes dumb controversy online. Who knows? Well, it's so weird, though, because there are going to be so many games coming out starting in, like, September. Yeah, like, late, uh, like, I think, like, August 20-something, uh, Saints Row 4 comes out. And, and then the floodgates just open. Yeah. Like, Pikmin 3, I think, maybe comes out on the same day. I think Pikmin 3 is already out. Everyone's reviewed it. I think it came out in Japan. Oh, okay. I don't think it's out of here yet. All right, well, in any case, I don't give two fucks about Pikmin 3. I don't either. But yeah, there'll be stuff happening, and we'll yeah. probably talk about it. So I just I was looking on Amazon the other day. I was pre-ordering GTA Five. Like I forgot to do that somehow. Let's get get on that. Yeah. Looking at all the other games on my wish list, I have literally created a wish list at this point just to keep them on in track. Like yeah. what games I need to play, and I'm like, oh, I need yeah, to get it's it. way too many. I need money. <laughs> yeah, I need to start dealing drugs or something. I mean, it's one of the, the cool things. We're never going to do this fucking podcast. It's one of the cool <laughs> things about this the transfer to like the next generation is. Or, like, one of, like, the maybe not just good things, but, like, weird things is that, like, all these split-gen titles, that there were, like, a few of them last time around, like, Gun and Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie, because that's the fucking title of that game. 
like those I remember were split gen, but like most everything else was like, yeah, it's just an Xbox 360 game or it's an Xbox game. This one is like fucking Call of Duty, Battlefield, Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed. Just everything under the goddamn sun is coming out on like every single platform, and even like Destiny, which is coming out in 2014, is going to be on the 360 and the PS3 as well as the new consoles. So it's just like a shit ton of games coming out, and it's like if you so it's kind of cool if you're getting a PS4 and Xbox One that. You know, like, they're not necessarily going to be, like, the most amazing next-gen titles because they're not going to take advantage of absolutely everything the machines have to offer, probably. I mean, nothing will, because it's the first time they get their hands on these machines. But it's like, you're going to have a lot of shit to play on these new consoles when they come out, because it's like every third-party game is also coming out on them. I know, I just, I need to make time in my schedule. Yeah. I need to finish Persona 3, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that should just be your fucking priority. You should just, like... Fucking bunker throw myself your, in a yeah, room. Yeah, just sell your lap. Just sell everything else you own, other than your Vita and like your copy of PlayStation Three Port or Persona Three Portable, and just like fucking finish that game, and then you can get everything back. Yes, because you have to seclude yourself to finish it. Yeah, maybe that's what I'll do tonight. Just go home, yeah. play a ton of Persona Three. Yeah. Although, although the point you're at in the game, I was kind of don't recommend playing it too much in one sitting because it kind of gets depressing at yeah. certain points. Well, actually, that is something I've been getting to in the game is where it's like yeah, we're, every point yeah. is like just beating me down and I have to. It's like, oh, God, Junpei, I, I need to take a minute. I, yeah, sorry, dude. Like, I'm just like, you know, I'm role-playing this game. I'm like 16 years old, man. I don't know. I can't deal with this bullshit. I think I'm still trying to get a girlfriend. That's why I'm playing the Bioshock Infinite DLC. It's like I just need to go yeah. turn my brain off after. And just massacre motherfuckers. Yes. I want to just massacre motherfuckers and unlock concept art. That's it. It's all I need in my life. Isn't that all we all need, Sean? Yeah. I wish life had concept art. 